Thanks for listening, Unplugged Army. I'm Louis Unga, General Manager at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. We're proud to present Doug Franz Unplugged. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Four minutes. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Everything you need to know in sports that affects Maricopa County, the state of Arizona, and the world, you get in four minutes. We start things off in Dallas, Texas. Suns crushed the Mavericks, 132-109. KD only had 12 points on 10 shots, but the Suns won by over 20 anyway. Head coach Frank Vogel. That's the, that's the beauty of this win. Right, Kevin Durant scored 12 points. Uh, we had 10 boards, 7 assists, and he's perfectly fine just going 12 points because we got the W. We got it in convincing fashion. Suns got down early, but then dominated the third quarter 43-20 in that quarter. Devin Booker outscored the Mavs 22-20 himself. Booker, what was the game plan? Just executing the game plan. I think to start the game, they were hot hitting a lot of shots, but, you know, we weren't making them miss them. So, you know, we got the lead back before halftime, and then second half, we just wanted to come out and finish the job. Suns move into a tie for fifth place with the Pelicans. They're three games behind the Clippers for home court advantage. One game right now ahead of the Kings. Suns off tonight. They're on the road tomorrow night at Indiana. Coyotes never showed up in Florida. They lose 6-2. They were down 6-0. They were 0-6 on power plays until scoring those last two goals late in the third. And the Melka bad once again. Head coach Andre Turini. You look at the end of the game, the, the stats in terms of scoring chance and stuff like that, possession, ozone, shot from the slot, was pretty good. But if you watch the game, there's no good. So it, sometimes the number doesn't tell you everything. Yeah, games numbers also told you you stunk. Game started with a McBain and O'Brien fight against two Panthers getting back-to-back fighting majors. Yotes, three games, four nights. They take on Tampa Bay tonight, 5 o'clock. Devils are in the Pacific Northwest to take on the Oregon schools. It starts tonight against the Oregon Ducks. Bobby, uh, head coach Bobby Hurley, what do you see from Oregon? They play with a, a good level of aggression. They have great athletes. They, uh, you know, they have good inside presence, one of the best inside players in our league. They have a uh, great perimeter shooting, so they, uh, they check a lot of boxes. They're very good basketball. Tip-off tonight for the Devils in Eugene, 7 o'clock. Wildcats a little bit further up the I-5 in Corvallis. Tommy Lloyd, what do you see when you see the Beavers at home? Oregon State has played well at home. You know, I mean, they, you know, they beat SC there right after Christmas when SC had all their guys. Um, you know, I think they lost in overtime to Stanford. Um, so that's their only two uh, losses of the season at home. U of A at Oregon State, late game, Pac-12 Network tonight, 9 o'clock. They'll try to bounce back from their first loss. GCU still looking good at 17-2. They're on the road at Stephen F. Austin. Tip-off is early at 5.30. Jim Harbaugh is leaving Michigan. He turned down $11.5 million a year to stay in Michigan to become the L.A. Chargers head coach and try to lead Justin Herbert. 
Doc Rivers did take the Milwaukee job, but before he could show up, Bucks beat the Cavs by 10. Giannis had a triple-double, and DeAndre Ayton rebounded after saying, I'm a max guy. He had 18 points and 17 rebounds in a Portland overtime win. And finally, meet FishBandit84 on Instagram. The account has 52,000 followers since it started last summer. <laughs> this 17-year-old boy goes by the motto, live, laugh, tape fish to ATMs. Now, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand this at all. But obviously, the youth of America have way too much time on their hands. But he goes around duct taping fish to the screens of an ATM. Some fish even have cigarettes put into their mouth. The juvenile... The juvenile is facing two counts of property damage, but the catch is he hasn't been caught. Clearly, the police are using the wrong bait. Jackpot Unplugged Army, I feel like a true commander-in-chief to be able to give you such an unprecedented savings. Go to Unplugged at Whirlwind.com and check out the new membership club from Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Whirlwind Plus. Here's what you get. You sign up for a tee time anytime between now and five days from now, and you can save anywhere from a minimum of 30% up to 60% off plus 15% off at Civlik, the restaurant, and another 15% off in the pro shop. I'm telling you, you walk into the pro shop, get bowls, a shirt, and a hat, you walk over for happy hour with your wife, you might pay for your monthly membership right then and there. It's $34 a month, cancel anytime, or if you want to save even more, because that equals out to a little more than $400, you can get it for only $299 a year. Whirlwind Plus at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Go to unpluggedworldwind.com and feel the wind. I'm Janelle, General Manager of Bell's Nashville Kitchen, a.k.a. the Whiskey Wizard. Bell's isn't your typical country bar with mediocre bar food. We are a scratch kitchen with chef-inspired dishes in the only place you can get the best sandwich in all of Arizona, our Nashville hot chicken sandwich. Now, the drinks. I spend days infusing our own whiskey creations. Come in for Whiskey Wednesdays to learn about and drink our famous whiskey selection. We have live music most days and all weekend as part of our honky tonk brunch. Bell's Nashville Kitchen on Main Street in Old Town Scottsdale. You found home, down home. Now, just to be clear, the energy is totally here. Completely engaged, got to bed on time, but the discipline was not there on Wednesday. And now, I should say Wednesday, on Tuesday, and now I'm still paying for it. But trust me, Unplugged Army, your commander-in-chief is healthy and ready to go. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever it is that you've decided to make Doug Franz Unplugged a part of your day, my family greatly appreciates it. My name is Doug Franz, and you have found the only podcast and TV show in the world. Totally devoted to the coverage of the four major sports franchises, the most great American city that drops on your phone and your television every weekday morning. We also cover ASU, U of A, GCU, the Rattlers, the Rising, and the Murray. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. All right, this is going to sound a little funny. The, the voice is done, is absolutely done. 
and I can't drive it forward. Therefore, it is a, a very, I will sound subdued in today's podcast. That's just the way it is. However, I am not subdued. I am not sick. The energy is full board. I'm ready to go. Let's have a great show. The catch is I, uh, I do not have the discipline to have friends over during the week. Jennifer invited good friends over. I think it was on Tuesday. Instead of having possibly one beer, like I said I was going to have, and then going upstairs to work, I stayed downstairs the whole time, had, I don't remember how many beers, and that dramatically affects the voice during the week. That's why there is a Beer Friday and not a Beer Tuesday, and now I'm paying for it. Now I am paying for it. I know better, but you kind of just sit there, oh, it's just one day, it'll be all right, and it's never all right. So therefore... Because of the acid reflux, everything comes up, attacks the voice box, and it takes me about a week and a half to two weeks to recover. So it's really going to be funny at the house this week uh, as I will be shut down, meaning I won't talk tonight. I won't talk tomorrow. I won't talk Saturday. I mean, I'll talk on the show, of course, but I I actually don't talk then the the rest of the time. And and it's weird because the family's used to that. Like, that's that's the way we got to recover. So I've already sent the email to Jennifer. Hey, we're not doing that again. (laughs) But I hope she doesn't take it like I'm blaming her because I had there was nothing holding me back. There was nothing that said I couldn't have gotten up from the table at some point and said, all right, I got to be done. I got to go upstairs. I got to go away. I got to work and protect the voice. And I never did that. So therefore, I hope it makes sense today as I'm talking to you that I am just sounding like hey is everything okay no everything's absolutely fine but i just can't drive the voice uh forward today hopefully i can kind of process it a little bit and uh make it sound make it sound a little bit more rewarding for you listening Uh, jeff we're a production do i sound ridiculous right now no you sound like you have maybe a the the beginnings of a cold oh yeah uh i actually don't i'm i'm a gamer tough uh orange juice is doing fine actually i haven't had orange juice once once the acid reflux started, I got to shut down uh, Eddie Orange Juice, which makes you susceptible to all kinds of things because orange juice cures the world. So you do have to worry. About, I do have to worry about now, actually, something could happen where I get sick. See, I never get sick because the orange juice and the beer, the vitamin C attacks anything that penetrates the alcohol. That's too much. That's too much for your common cold, for your flu. Uh, I don't care what it is. OK, I, I don't even think I've ever had COVID-19. And the reason why is very simple. The alcohol wall created by the beer just slaughters all germs and bacteria. And then by the time a virus can get through all that, now you got the vitamin C beating it up. It's just too much. That's why I'm a rock wall when it comes to getting sick. And that's also why you're not an MD. (laughs) I'm an OJ. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this i'm sorry this fish story i don't want you to look this up jeff we production because if you do there won't be a show today as i will <laughs> not be able to control myself there was a story about five years ago it was brought up on the old show and i knew i knew the animal rights people were going to be so angry at me but i couldn't help it i couldn't help it it was Somebody went around, I think it was in Las Vegas, and bought all of these tiny little top hats 
like super tiny top hats. And then, and then put glue around the ring of the top hat. And then, while feeding pigeons, since the pigeons are so docile to get whatever bird feed, he would hold it out, and as they came up to him, he would put the little top hats on their heads. And they were stuck there. And then, to see the pictures of the birds walking around with top hats <laughs> i don't know why i still think that's one of the funniest things i've ever seen and it was supposedly terribly dangerous because some of them have nests in a tree where they you know they know exactly where their head clearance is and now suddenly the top hat keeps hitting the the, the uh a, a tree limb above their nest they can't get into their nest so to animal rights activists this is not funny but to me especially with the way pigeons walk you know and move their heads and this top hat's going back and forth so i when i saw this fish story I couldn't help but laugh of, of just people walking up to an ATM and there's a dead fish. And then when I read, he puts it on the back of restaurant bathroom doors with a cigarette in its mouth. So you walk into the bathroom, you're not thinking anything about it. Hopefully you're in the 35% of all men that wash their hands after the bathroom. And then you turn around and you reach for the bathroom door and there's a dead fish looking at looking at you smoking and and the tape job he does he doesn't care how it looks so he's got duct tape or electrical tape all over these fish to hold them in place and it's fantastic it's so rude and stupid and funny all at the same time and they i don't understand on atms they have cameras there how do you not catch this guy i but when i saw those pictures last night Oh my gosh, I, I, I thought that was fantastic. And I don't know why stuff like that makes me laugh, but nothing, well, of course, people falling down, but the, the birds of the top hats, oh my gosh, that was, that had me going for days, had me going for days on the, uh, on the birds. Um, let's see, everything you need to know right now is just simply our two big events that are coming up in February. It is the, uh, let's see, February 3rd, I think. You mind if I cheat and look to make sure? Yes, February 3rd. It's a Saturday. Burrito Express, new location in Tempe on Kyrene. Please go to burritoexpress.com and look up the location so you have the specific address. I'll be there around noon. You're welcome to come anytime. Not a sanctioned event only because I didn't give you enough time to be able to get there. I, I want to make sure that I, I announce things that are sanctioned events like, like a month in advance so you have time to figure it out. Where is that, Kyrene? Um, is east side? It's in Tempe, so yes. Okay. But I mean, it's not like supreme east side of... Um, How close to 100 Mile Brewing? I would say a lot closer to... Um, the 60 okay. much further south um, would be where would be probably the best way to get there I mean I I haven't looked I'll, I'll look it up in the GPS on how I would get there you can tell as a west side guy I just I just you know put stuff into Apple and say okay go take me where I'm, wherever I'm going when it's on the east side I don't know anything 
I, I lived there 17 years and I still, I mean, I know the big streets, but other than that, I really struggle until I get there. And then I start saying, oh yeah, okay, I, I see where I'm at. Oh, okay. And then I, and then I have a general sense of, okay, I don't know. I couldn't give you directions to the 101 or the 202, but I can get there. I can figure it out based on landmarks and where I'm at, but it takes me a second. But West Side, I'm like, oh yeah, it's here, it's here, it's here. And when I say West Side, I mean extreme West Side. Anything west of the 101, I'm like, oh yeah, it's right over here. It's right over here. And here, you take this road here, you take this road here, and then I, uh, and then I can get you there. So that is February 3rd. And then our big unplugged sanctioned event at Whirlwind Golf Club uh, at Wild Horse Pass. That is February 23rd. Oh, thank you very much, Jeff Weir Production. We will be there uh, from, I'll get there probably around 10 or 10.30, somewhere in there. And I plan on having a late breakfast and then going out and warming up. I'll tee off sometime around noon. Tea times aren't posted yet. Uh, available tea times, uh, you can't sign up just yet. It'll, it should be up this weekend. Unplugged at whirlwind.com. And then you can uh, get your tea times, and then we'll be there from noon on. Uh, please fill it up. Uh, we've, we've sold out every event so far that we've done. I think I've got the right number. I like to go out there about two or three times a year because I don't want to have so many of them that it's a burden for you either financially or it's difficult for you to make all of them, and I don't want you to lose your status at a sanctioned event. And it's important to me that we always fill it up so we look great in front of the advertiser. And I'm also hoping to invite some other advertisers to come out and be a part of it. I know Mikey from Bell's Nashville Kitchen will be out there. I don't know about Angel as of yet, but he's going to look once um, we have the, uh, the website up and, and some time set to make sure that, uh, that he can be a part of it. But that's going to be Friday the 23rd, sanctioned event. Can't wait to see you out there. Please be a part of it. And uh, that event... If I told you about the big meetings I had this week, if I can get that opportunity for us to grow closed, I'm going to invite them to come out and I, I will be totally jacked up if they are there and you're there and you can say, hey, thanks for being a part of the Unplugged Army. I mean, this would be a monumental type of event for us if we can all come together so please find a way to get out there on february 23rd whether you're a golfer or not come eat breakfast with me around 10 30 or so um or a, a very very early lunch before i walk out and start warming up if you golf go to unplugged at whirlwind.com once the website's ready to go get you and sign up and say hey here's kind of whatever what you're looking at tea time you can also you sign up as an individual but you can tell sweet lou I'm part of a foursome. Here's the other guys in my group. I'm a twosome, so please make sure I'm partnered up with this guy. And then the other two spots fill it up with unplugged army members, you know, how, whatever your requests are. And then if you can't get off on Friday or you don't want to get off on Friday, and I understand that too, then stop by for happy hour or dinner and come by at the end of your shift, at the end of work, whenever, and join us Friday the 23rd. I'd love to see you out there at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Uh, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. I don't know why I think that does anything. And I've only started doing that uh, lately. Show open. Um, Sun Devil Source, our, our sound credits, I mean, Sun Devil Source gave us our Bobby Hurley that we use for the four-minute offense. ESPN gave us two things. We got Booker and Luka Doncic from ESPN. 
Dwayne Rankin on Twitter. We robbed his Twitter account and took uh, the Frank Vogel. Dwayne, you know, don't forget, plug into a malt box. Uh, Arizona Wildcats YouTube page gave us the Tommy Lloyd. And the Coyotes sent us the Andre Turney from that horrific, I mean, just embarrassing performance against Florida. That was awful. It was like they cared. Uh, I'll get into that later. I'm just so fired up about that game. And I think that's it. Anything going on in your life, Jeff Weir Production? No, sir. You nailed it. Hmm. All right, sorry for the constant water drinking today to uh, soothe the throat, but let's roll. Doug's Big One. Usually, Doug's Big One is, is, is almost always a local subject, but today I want to go national because I, I'm really bothered by a lot of people's inability to frame up a good opinion on what's going on with head coach Bill Belichick. And to me... It's not that hard to look at it in a larger scheme. No matter what happens going forward, Bill Belichick is the greatest coach in the history of the NFL. He is. So many people are trying to steal what he's done by saying it's all because of Brady. And because he struggled without Brady, that means he couldn't coach before. That is so untrue. Do not forget, in a time where every coach in the world always said you can't lose your job because of an injury. He had a good quarterback in Drew Bledsoe. And having a good quarterback in Drew Bledsoe, not a great quarterback, a good quarterback in Drew Bledsoe. Drew Bledsoe gets hurt. Tom Brady comes in, does better in the three games that he's playing than Drew Bledsoe ever did. He sees something in Brady, recognizes it, runs with him. That was an unbelievable difficult decision. Bill Belichick gets credit and should get credit for the success of Tom Brady. It doesn't mean Tom Brady doesn't doesn't steal credit from Tom Brady. Tom Brady would have been good with any other coach. But would he have gotten the same opportunities as pick number 199 in the draft? I don't know. Would another coach have said, good job, Tom Brady? I'm now going back to Bledsoe. I believe they would have. I remember way back then saying you got to stick with Brady, but I'm just a guy with an opinion sitting on a couch. It's easy for me because I don't have to deal with any ramifications. People forget if I'm right or wrong for the most part. For somebody like Bill Belichick, if he would have gotten that wrong, he would have been ripped for the rest of his career. It would have been his second job after the Browns that then ended probably in below average expectations, and he would have been fired and we never heard from him. He's the one that made that decision. And then he's the one that treated Brady equal to everybody else and ripped him like crazy to make everybody else understand if I can rip our Super Bowl winning quarterback like everybody else, I can certainly rip you. You better come together as a team. That was the magic of Bill Belichick's coaching. He deserves all the credit for that. So therefore, to act like he doesn't deserve all the accolades that come to him is just wrong. That doesn't mean he's owed another job. And I think that's an important point, too. Bill Belichick is exactly where he should be, unemployed. He doesn't want to hear that. That doesn't stop making him the greatest coach of all time. You can be both because he got arrogant and and screwed up. I think Bill Belichick started doing exactly the same things that that he blamed other people for. You can look at, I think it goes all the way back to the benching of Malcolm Butler in the playoffs. 
I thought that was one of the dumbest decisions he's ever made. Then, I just said one of, then look at the ridiculous decision two years ago to say Matt Patricia, the fired head coach of the Lions, his former defensive coordinator, is now suddenly going to call plays for a second-year quarterback. His quarterback as a rookie had a really good season. And then suddenly, Mac Jones is a disaster in his second year. Why? You've got a disaster as an offensive coordinator. In the most important year that any quarterback has for growth, you destroyed him. Now, maybe Mac Jones is weak mentally. Maybe he would have been destroyed no matter what. I don't know that. I just know he had a pretty good rookie year under Josh McDaniels. And then you thought a defensive coordinator could coach offense, could call plays. That's, that's a level of arrogance that you deserve this bottom-feeding existence in the last couple of years. That's the height of I'm more brilliant than everybody else. The last four years, he's been 7-9, and 10-7, did make the playoffs, but embarrassed themselves in a game against Buffalo. 7-9, and 4-13. That's the last four years under Bill Belichick. When that's your... That's Cliff Kingberry's numbers, coach. Yeah. Average teams, massive playoff embarrassment, bad teams. That's what Cliff did. Now, before somebody says, Doug Franz compared Bill Belichick to Cliff Kingsbury today. No, I'm just looking at you got enough time. You got four years after the Brady. And the other thing about Brady, and this is where you do blame Bill Belichick. Brady changed. Brady didn't want to be coached the way that you had coached him before. And you didn't adjust. Coaching is adjusting. And you didn't. Now, you can argue all you want. I'm not going to change. This is how people fall apart because they start winning and they change. Okay. You know what? I think when t- when somebody wins at the time, I think it was six world championships for you. And he says, enough of this. I, I, I don't want it to be this way. And you decide my game plan to change it as a rookie quarterback and in year two, a defensive coordinator. That's a mess. You deserve the misfortune that you've had the last four years because you drove it. Now people are looking at you as a potential head coach. So far, I don't know if you know this, he's only had a couple interviews and they've both been with the same team. He's talked to the Falcons and that's it. The way that you treated the media makes you not marketable to a team that desperately needs coverage. The Atlanta Falcons, really the city of Atlanta, has the worst fans in sports, other than maybe Stanford fans. And before Jeff Weir Production puts up a Braves logo anywhere, it's because the fans are from everywhere else, not from Atlanta, just like in Phoenix, but it's a regional city. So people from Atlanta, people from southern Georgia, uh, I shouldn't say Atlanta, from Alabama, from southern Georgia, from South Carolina, from northern Florida, from Mississippi, from eastern Tennessee, they kind of gravitate to be an Atlanta fan, but they can only get to a game about once or twice a year. It's not easy for them to get to games. And with the proliferation of YouTube and everything else, it's not like you grow up listening to the radio of Braves games anymore or watching WTBS and loving your Atlanta Braves all throughout the South. And it's the same thing. The Falcons haven't had a good fan base in forever. So a team that needs to market, they need a coach that's going to be in front of the media, that's going to be engaging. They don't have that. 
that puts the pressure on a coach if you're really going to be successful for the Falcons to win immediately. So they don't have a quarterback. They have a head coach that doesn't treat the media well. You're not marketable. And that's the only team that's even talking to you. And Jim Harbaugh just beat you out of a job with the Chargers. Probably the job you wanted. You deserve this, Bill. You really do. And that's not a slam on you. That doesn't change the fact that you're a Hall of Famer. And it doesn't change the fact you're the greatest coach in the history of football. But it's a lesson for you that just because you were so worried about your team's ego becoming arrogant and letting the small thing slip through, you became your own worst enemy. And you've got to make the decision, are you going to change dramatically if you want to coach again in the NFL? I think he's going to get the message. I'm starting to believe he won't be hired at all anywhere in the NFL. Possibly he gets the job with the Atlanta Falcons. But what's really interesting to me, the way owners, they lie. Owners talk to people like crazy in back channels. You're not going to get me to believe that Jerry Jones, from day one, made the decision, I'm not cutting bait. Mike McCarthy is my head coach no matter what. I do not have a source on this. This is speculation as being a member of the media for 30 years and knowing about secret conversations that have happened elsewhere and in other situations. But I totally believe Jerry Jones reached out to Bill Belichick or somebody in the Bill Belichick group to gauge interest, to find out, are you interested in this? To find out how what you were going to do and what was your plan. And that went into whether or not Mike McCarthy was going to be fired. And I believe Bill Belichick had problems with the amount of media attention the Dallas Cowboys get or wanted to run the entire organization and Jerry Jones wasn't going to give up power. And therefore, they couldn't come to an agreement. So since Bill Belichick wouldn't change, he didn't get the job. I'm looking at other situations where coaches did not get fired, and it's my belief that they talked to Bill Belichick. At least some of them did. And Bill Belichick put on demands on the organization that the organization didn't want to deal with. Or he set parameters that he didn't think through. He doesn't want to, people are saying he doesn't want to go to a big market because there's a ton of media there. He doesn't want that. He wants a small amount of media. Well, guess what, Bill? If you're in a, t- a team with a smaller amount of media, that's the team that needs the most help marketing-wise. Something that you want to be the biggest fish in the room, ATM, but not with a cigarette in your mouth, but you want to be the biggest fish in the room, but then you don't want to handle what it takes to promote the brand. You deserve this moment. And I hope you learn from it in 2024 and come back in 2025 because you're good for football. I'll tell you what, out of everything there is today, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball because I'm going to talk so much, sons. I'll do that coming up after a break, but let's cram one thing in before the break, Jeff Weir production. Will you get me the entire Andre Turini press conference for me? I, I, I want to air this. It's only three minutes. So if you're in the Unplugged Army and, and you're busy, it's going to be an easy listen. Um, they were down six to nothing. And I admit, I don't, I don't understand how this happens. If you didn't see the game last night, because of some bad hits from the Florida Panthers at the beginning of, or during the game in Tempe, there was a meeting at Center Ice, and basically a couple of the guys from the uh, Coyotes, this is, this is a weird thing about hockey, but they showed the class to tell the Panthers we're coming. 
the very beginning of the game, there will be fights. And then the Panthers obviously took that information to their coaching staff. Both teams put out their fourth line to start the game. And there were back-to-back fights. Five seconds in, then they dropped the puck again, and then two seconds later, there's another fight. So we got two fighting majors to start the game, to get the game rolling. And it was almost like the Coyotes cared more about retribution than the wild card. Because that, that decision, listen, I'm not arguing against the decision, but it, it was clear the guys were more interested in getting back at Florida physically than they were at beating Florida. While the Panthers, who I don't think, I don't want to say they didn't know it was coming because they were told it was coming before the game in the, in the or pregame skate. And they, they, knew, they knew what was going to happen after they're told. But for them, it was a moment of galvanization to come together. Like, okay, you want to start this way? Here we go. And yet for the Coyotes, it was great. Good. We're glad that's over. And then guess what happened? They got destroyed. Here's the head coach. We talked this morning a little bit about the up and down nature of things. We had the two wins and then coming out here. How surprising was it to see the way that the game began? Um, I don't know what you say, really. I think that stuff happened. I think it's it's all the team. There, there, there's no really bright side of our performance. I think we we had we were all not connected, not urgent enough, not executing. Our execution was not there. Our passing was not there. Our shooting was not there. So the, it's an off night. It's one of those nights. You know, it looked like in the second you had more shots and that was a positive, but was it hard even down three to nothing that you weren't able to turn it around? Well, we, we have a proud group. I think our guys fought, but sometimes there's some night you don't, you don't have, you don't have it in you. You don't, it's not an excuse. We, we need to find it. I'm well aware of that and I'm all, all in on that. I'm just saying it. they were our quality of our shot. If you look at the end of the game, the, the stats in terms of scoring chance and stuff like that, possession, ozone, shot from the slot, was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But if you watch the game, it was no good. So it's, sometimes the number doesn't tell you everything. I think we, we work, we try, but we didn't work smart and we had no execution. Where did it started with the fights? Do you think that that affected the game at all? I think there were a lot of distraction, but that when you're focused and you're on, there's nothing will disturb you. When you're fragile, like we were today, if that will have happened the game before against Britain, that will have not changed a thing for us. But tonight, our focus was not as uh, tuned in than it has to be. Second straight game that felt a little similar for Veggie. I know it's certainly not all on the goaltender, but it's how difficult it is, is it for him right now? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm disappointed about that. I think you need to win the Veggie needs needs us. You know, we need it. We need him. We can say that, but the other way around is true as well. I think we need to support him better. Uh, we gave up 15 great a chance tonight. Come on, yeah. you want to give a chance to Veg to get back in the game and to have a good game and be as good as he's been for us. And uh, in the past, I think we, we we owe him a good performance, and we didn't deliver that to him in the last couple starts for him. I know there's not a lot of positives here, but what could you take from the third there with with Gunther and the two goals that you saw, Cooley and Gunther. It is what it is. I, I don't. I, I think when it's 
five nothing, six one, that kind of a score. You, for me, that I just wanted the guys to keep keep fighting, keep working, not taking bad habits. And I think we need to forget that game at ASAP. And quickly move on to tomorrow. Tomorrow becomes exactly. another chance to uh, exactly. turn that, around. That's the best thing for us. That's the only good news I had today. I think it's the fact we're we're playing tomorrow. So let's move on and midnight rule. And there's. Four or five times in a season, you just throw the tape at the trash and you move on. That will be one of them. The reason why I wanted to play you the whole thing, I didn't want anything taken out of context, but I thought it was really interesting the way he talked about the fight at the beginning of the game. And I'm glad that Jody Jackson asked that question. And he, he had an interesting point. Listen, the way we played against Pittsburgh, we were focused on what we were doing. So therefore, it didn't matter that nothing would have distracted us. I really disagree with how he's putting that. And the reason why I disagree with him so strongly is the fighting was the distraction. So his opinion is, hey, if we would have fought against Pittsburgh at the beginning of the game, we were so focused on the game, who cares? We would have won that game. No. Your guys played so well against Pittsburgh because they were focused on beating Pittsburgh. Your guys played so poorly against Florida because they were focused on retribution against Florida for what Florida did here and how physical they were here and the cheap shots that Florida took here. I like, though, how he said we were fragile. I hope that's not, you know, he's he's um, French-Canadian, so French is his first language. So sometimes there can be a little bit of a language barrier where you know the nuances of a language. He totally means fragile as if we weren't focused and it was, we were easily breakable. But the way we use the word fragile in sports, I don't know if he meant it because it means you're soft. It means we were easily distracted because we're not mentally, we weren't mentally tough. But I got to tell you, I hope he meant it because that's exactly what I saw on the ice is a team that felt like good. We got, we got what we came here to get. And in truth, you got more lack of respect. You're down three, nothing in the first period, three to nothing. Before They did score two power play goals at the end of the game, but it was already 6 to nothing, and they were already 0 for 6 on the power play. Florida was so undisciplined, they had eight penalties in the game that don't include the fighting majors. Eight. So you have eight power play opportunities. You only get two goals, and you wait until you're down 6 nothing to get them. On a trip where you still have Tampa Bay left, and I think they go to Carolina after that three games and four nights. This might be one of those stretches where if if the Coyotes had positive opportunities, um, when you look back, this will be the one where, good, glad you got your fighting in, glad that that felt good. And I'm not against fighting in the NHL. It doesn't bother me at all. It's part of the game. So be it. But that was clear. They cared more about fighting than they did about winning. And that's when it should be unacceptable. We'll see if they rebound. Listen, Nashville plays tonight, and the Coyotes play in Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's better than the Coyotes. But if you get a win tonight, everything's forgotten yesterday, and you're right there either tied with Nashville for the last playoff spot or only um, two, two points back. All right, coming up next. Clearly, Suns are the biggest deal. They've got deep dive into what they did to the Dallas Mavericks. And if you didn't hear the stat in the four-minute offense, third quarter, Suns-Mavericks. Devin Booker, 22 points. The Mavericks, 20. <laughs> That's next. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club and Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com.
So in the Franz household, we have an air conditioning unit, an air scrubber, a reverse osmosis system, and a tankless water heater all purchased from Parker & Sons. Why? Well, number one, because we trust them. We got to know Parker & Sons about six months into living in Phoenix, and they've showed up on time, got it right the first time, and treated us great every single time. So why would we go anywhere else? The other thing I like is some of the products have even saved us money. The reverse osmosis system gives us bottle quality water from a tap. And then the tankless water heater, I can't even imagine how much money it has saved us. We never run out of hot water, even on holidays when people are coming in to visit. And it doesn't heat up water and then just let it sit in a tank. It only heats it up as we use it. So we only use the electricity when we need it. And our air scrubber takes allergens and bacteria out of the air, which has just been a dream for my wife and my youngest daughter, who have some pretty heavy allergies. Call 602-2-REPAIR to learn about these products. That's 602, the number two, that R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker & Sons. Rosati Sports Pub in Chandler. It's on Ray and McQueen. Sounds like a sports bar. What's the difference? You walk in and they actually have games on TV with the sound on. How many times do you walk into a supposed sports bar and they've got loud music on or somebody playing live or some kind of trivia game going on and you're there to watch the game? If you're like me, a simple guy, give me my pizza, give me my wings, give me my cold beer and make sure I can hear the Suns and D-backs, then you want Rosati Sports Pub at Chandler. All members of the Unplugged Army, welcome. Rosati Sports Pub, give me the game. Sorry about that, Jeff. We're productive. <laughs> yeah, I didn't hear anything you said. <laughs> oh, good, good. Well, then you won't know what I said. I, uh, I said, oh, Jeff, you really screwed that up. Go home. No, I didn't. I, t- I asked you to play. I was going to tell you what I wanted you to play first. Oh, okay. And then I told you something I didn't ask you to cut. So <laughs> it's just never mind. I said, hey, I'll take the booker first. And then I forgot I only wanted Booker for four-minute offense. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I can play the four-minute offense again. <laughs> yeah, we're going to just do the whole thing. Yeah. Um, Suns a winner last night. Sorry, I got versus Vegas in the way. Uh, not happy about versus Vegas last night, by the way. Suns a winner, 132-109. Uh, beginning of the game was very strange in which Dallas was hitting shots left and right. So that's a problem. Weak closeouts, it does bother me. But at the same time, players get hot sometimes, deal with it. But the lack of rebounding and hustle, it it was really frustrating. And it was another first quarter where I'm watching the game thinking, you know, who are we and are we ever going to figure this out? And it's weird to say that when a team is in the middle. I think uh, last night they were in a six-game winning streak because obviously it was before they won. But they're now on a seven-game winning streak, and I'm just watching the game saying, where is the fire? How does this keep happening in the first quarter? And they lose the first quarter 34 to 25. And it was a lot of hustle moments to me. And that's what really alienated me the most. And second quarter, they dominated 32-24. Not, they had a couple buckets. Dallas responded. And then from that point forward, things got a lot better. And then they just destroyed the Mavericks in the third quarter. And this was a game, again, two games in a row that's gotten really chippy. And I was really happy about this one. And the reason why is when it got chippy early in this game, I thought the Suns looked soft. I thought the Suns cowered a little bit to the physicality. They started crying to the officials a lot. 
and it drives me nuts. The NBA is embarrassing for how poorly officiated it is. But at the same time, as a player, when are you going to get it in your head that it's so poorly officiated? Quit whining. It's not going to do you any good. And to me, it was eight on five last night in the first quarter. And when I say that, a lot of times people say that and they think you're blaming refs, you're attacking refs, or you're a homer. I'm not saying it in the sense that the referees had it out for the Suns or anything like that. I mean it was eight to five as an insult to the Suns, not an insult to the refs. I'll insult the refs and just tell you they were terrible once again because they're bad almost all the time in the NBA, and the NBA doesn't care. And the NBA will continually put out this narrative that the media regurgitates that they do care. And they'll say, oh, they'll get hit by having less playoff games. Oh, they'll get hit hard because this will happen. Oh, they're judged hard behind the scenes because look how, look how difficult we are in the two-minute report. I mean, get real. Until a league puts out the standings for the referees, just like we do players, I, I don't, don't tell me that you care. It's really simple. For some reason, we expect a 19-year-old, I should say a 15-year-old, to be able to handle where they rank at their position on max preps or something. But a referee in his 30s, 40s, 50s, or in Scott Foster, 97 years old, who's still officiating, we, we don't want that to happen. That's too much for those adults to be able to handle. So we're not going to put that out. I think it makes perfect sense. You know where you stand, and then you try to move up. You try to get better in the standings. But when I say 8-5 to five against the Suns, I mean the Suns thought they were competing against the refs. They included them with Dallas as their opponent. So now, instead of playing 5-on-5, five five, they were playing 5-on-8. And I thought they were going to lose this game in the first quarter. I was, it was embarrassing the way they cried and complained so much. And I, I almost felt like the, the old phrase, quit your bitching, was, was something that was appropriate in that game for the Suns. And then about the eight, nine-minute mark of the second quarter, it really started to flip. And they started focusing more on just playing good defense and moving the ball offensively. And it got so much better, so much better. The first thing that Frank Vogel wanted to talk about, and I think this is good coaching to talk about, is the fact that they won a game, and listen to these numbers for Kevin Durant. Four of ten shooting, so he only took ten shots. Twelve points, ten rebounds, seven assists, two blocks. The whole team did not have a free throw attempt in the final 20 minutes. KD took his final free throw attempt with 22 minutes left in the game. So think about that. It was about the 8.30 mark, so technically about 22.30. So he took free throws about uh, somewhere around three, three and a half minutes into the uh, second half. And he never earned another free throw again. I don't think that was officiating. I think that was two things that I really give him credit for. One... Or one thing I don't because he wasn't as aggressive. But two, I will say he knew Booker's hot. Why should he be taking the, the, the shots? That's pretty remarkable for a guy that is a definite Hall of Famer, potentially could be a starter on the top five greatest team of all time, depending on what we think who that should be. Uh, he's definitely on the bench for the greatest team of all time. Obviously, that's all speculative and opinionated by me. 
But that's how great he is, and yet he knows I don't have it, he does. And he's part of the reasons doing other things why they won. That's why Frank Vogel was so impressed. That's, that's the beauty of this win. Right, Kevin Durant scores 12 points, um, and he had 10 boards, 7 assists, and he's perfectly fine just scoring 12 points because we got the W. We got it in convincing fashion. Uh, he really trusts his teammates. They had a mindset. Um, their, their defensive game plan was to double-team all his pick-and-rolls and, and double-team him in the post. So he just welcomes that and says it's going to be my night to get everybody else more shots. He had seven assists, but a lot of those were swing-swings where he doesn't get the assist, but he, he initiated the action. Right? He, 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 tried, he caused the chain reaction, and um, you know, that's the beauty of what Kevin Durant's doing for our team. I love what he was saying there, the swing, swing. Um, I've I've always liked that phrase in basketball. You've heard me talk about the hockey assist a lot. In hockey, I make the pass to you. You make the pass to Jeff Weir Production. Jeff Weir Production scores. Good job, Jeff. You get a goal. But you as a member of the Unplugged Army and me, you and I get assists. Because the thought process is because of my pass – I was able to move the defense one way when you passed it to the shooter. That's why we got the goal. In basketball, for your actual box score, there's only assists. Who makes the pass that leads to the shot? But in analytics, they do use the stat, hockey assist, because they want to see who's doing it. Because there were times KD was open, but he knew somebody else was a little more open, and then that guy was able to make the play. Or he might have passed the ball into the paint to a Nurkic, to a Eubanks, or this this game wasn't as high post dominated, so he might have thrown it up top, who then swung it over to Booker on the backside. So because of that, that's what he's talking about. And then... Duran also noticed, okay, since I don't have it tonight shooting-wise, what else can I do? And I thought that was impressive. His turnovers were way down. Now, statistically, his turnovers were way down. If you saw the game, I don't know what was going on with Kevin Durant. He borrowed DeAndre Ayton's hands last night. There were so many times the ball was getting slapped away from him or he would fumble a pass. One time he kicked a ball with his knee, and somehow his teammates – kept picking up the loose ball and therefore it didn't end up as a KD turnover. I I don't think I'm lying to say there were six different plays that if the ball bounces the other way, it's a KD turnover and he only got one. But statistically, nice job. Seven assists, one turnover for a power forward. That's unbelievable for a wing player. That's an incredible stat. So he gets the credit because that's what ended up happening. The story of the night, Booker, wow. Wow. At one point, Frank Vogel was asked, what's the story of the third quarter, 43 to 20? And he just goes, Booker. <laughs> that was his And it's kind of funny because the question is seriously like 45 seconds long from Dwayne Rankin. And then Vogel just says, Booker. Booker. And that's it. There's nothing else to say. De- Devin Booker was fantastic. Just absolutely fantastic. So, Coach, just tell us about this win when it starts chippy it starts physical Dwayne Rankin didn't ask this but it starts with in my opinion you guys looking soft and then you toughening up and getting the win you know, and um, they went by one or whatever it was tonight. Um, proud of our guys. You know, we it was a chaotic first half, you know, with uh, you know, a lot of technicals and, 
you know, a little dust up, uh, you know, with, uh, with Williams there in the first. Our guys kept our composure, especially in the second half. We said halftime, the team is more composed, is going to um, have the advantage. And uh, our guys kept their poise and uh, and played through not only that, but played through, uh, you know, some mixing coverages. You know, Luka requires uh, different coverages than, than what we normally throw out uh, on a gamely basis. So uh, it took us a little while to, to, to get dialed into it in the first half. We got stronger with it, but made some uh, some adjustments even at halftime that our guys did an even better job executing and um, just had a spectacular third quarter. Maybe this, I'm not going to say it's a line in the sand game because you're in a seven game winning streak, but keep in mind when I say seven game winning streak, Dallas is four games above 500 now. They were 24 and 19 coming into the game. If you look at the Suns' six-game winning streak going into this game, the teams that they had beaten have a combined record of four games below 500. So on the one hand, it's hard to win an NBA game. Great job winning six in a row. On the other hand, you beat teams you were supposed to beat, and most of those games were at home. So let's not act like you did something special other than the phrase six-game winning streak. But... It could be a product of the opposition, and a lot of teams go through stretches of the schedule where it's brutal and stretches of the schedule where they have an inherent advantage. What the Suns did is they won the games where they had an inherent advantage. This is not a game with an inherent advantage. First game of a road trip, it's the longest road trip of the year. You're playing against a team you're going to be fighting it out with for position. I believe if the Suns would have lost, they'd be tied with the Dallas Mavericks. So there was a lot on this game within the confines of January NBA basketball. Okay, Yes, it's one out of 82. Yes, there's plenty of time remaining in the season. Yes, it's January. But they were up for this game and then got smacked in the face and did something about it. That seems different than a lot of the Suns' games we've seen this year that you can attack them physically and they've been proven to be soft at times like that and they came back they still showed being soft in the first quarter and did something about it and then going deeper into what Frank Vogel just said he said we did a lot of coverages that are different than our norm because you have to defend Dallas differently and it took us a while to get into that flow Okay, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt there because it does look like there was a line in the sand drawn from about three minutes left in the first quarter through the rest of the game where they did figure something out. And then, as he mentioned, in the second uh, half, they made more adjustments in which they said that those adjustments really, really worked well. And Dallas's bench played better at the end. So the fourth quarter was 32-31. Suns won the quarter by a point. Still a 30-point quarter. Still not good. But there was a lot of bench playing near the end of that game in which Dallas's bench came in. So you can look at it and still judge the way the defense played for the Suns. So that was, that was wonderful. I like, though, after complimenting the defense, Frank Vogel was asked, you're in a seven-game winning streak. Everything's going well right now. But where's the next area of growth for the team? And he went right back to the defense. One of the areas of growth for our basketball team is not only um, – 
you know, whether to double or not double is one thing, but when we double, not getting beat on the backside. Like every double team shouldn't lead to a backside three. Okay, and that's happened too much uh, for our team throughout the first part of the season. So that was one of the challenges is can we double team without uh, getting burned on the backside? And our guys flew around, did a really good job for either forcing turnovers or forcing misses. And, um, you know, that got us out on the break. And then, you know, when we were in the half court, Devin Booker just carried us. Uh, I mean, there's – I love the game. I really love the game. And I love – the way he just broke that down and wasn't afraid to admit a mistake, but then showing here's some growth. Here's what he means if you didn't quite follow it. Or you might know the game really well, but let's face it, you're in your car. Dwayne Rankin doesn't plug into the malt box. The sound isn't great, but I thought it was so important I wanted to play it anyway. And you've got a lot going on this morning, so maybe you didn't catch everything that he just talked about. He said, just because we double doesn't mean we have to give up a three on the backside. And what that is trying to say is when you double team, so somebody that's as good as Luca, somebody that's as good in the paint as a, as a Giannis or a Joel Embiid, it doesn't matter who you're doubling. The worst double team in the world is the double team that's hesitant. The second worst double team in the world is one without a rotation. And what those two comments mean Let's say, okay, my man is a matchup nightmare. Whoever I'm guarding is really, really tough guard. We've made the decision, I'm going to need help. Whether it's going to be a guard doubling down, swatting at the ball, or whether it's going to be another big coming over from the backside, no matter what, we're going to double. If we're going to double, we need to have a clear-cut plan exactly when we double. Some people double based on as soon as the guy puts the ball on the ground. Okay, if the ball hits the deck, you double. If he's just standing there holding it, let him hold it. But as soon as he tries to put it on the deck, we double. Well, what will happen is some guys will try to, I would say, guess, anticipate. I think he's going to start dribbling, so I go. And then he hasn't dribbled yet. He, he Like sometimes you'll even see a guy just kind of go like that, or he'll look like he's going to start dribbling. And a guy will that'll be a key to see. Oh, look, here it comes. Uh, let me. I'm not doing a great job describing. Let me give you this example. Have you ever seen a pitcher, especially before the new rules, have a batter at the plate that doesn't have a great batting average and a runner on first, and the pitcher throws it to first when the guy's not a threat? The guy doesn't have much of a uh, of a lead, or he doesn't have a lot of stolen bases, and you're wondering. Why are you worried about that guy at first? That guy's not going. He knows he's not going. He's throwing it over to see if the batter will cheat and start to get his bunt ready. That's why he's doing that. Because it's like, oh, you are bunting. Okay. Because you might say, no way does, yes, a hitter will try to bunt the ball thrown to first. Now, I don't mean he runs up the line with his bat. Hey, I'm trying to hit that. I don't mean that. What I mean is you've got to get your bat ready to go when the pitcher goes into his motion. So as the pitcher goes into his motion, you think he's coming to the plate, he throws it to first, and here you are showing the world, hey, the bump play is on. So now the other team knows. That's exactly what I mean with a guy faking of when he's going to put the ball on the deck because he wants to see, can I catch somebody in the double? Can I find out where the double is coming from? So now, if a guy goes halfway up, you've got him. You've now found out where the double is. 
that does two things. You know what to do as a player because you know if they're going to double over the top or underneath you. And it also leaves that guy's man open because now you just left your man and you're caught in no man's land. You didn't get close enough to the guy you're supposed to double to block his vision and you're too far away from your guy to really guard him. So don't be hesitant on the double. Even if you screw up and leave too early, once you go, you go. Go, go, go. Get the double. Now, after you've doubled, it's the job of everybody else to guard your man. It's not like your coach doesn't know they're now playing four on three on the backside. Two guys are on one. The other four are against my three. They know that. And the Suns have been abhorrent this year on rotating back. Their closeouts are so slow. Guys are getting good looks at three on the backside of a double team because if they double a good passing person, the, the rest of the guys are kind of asleep. They're not understanding this is team defense. This is our coverage. This guy's leaving to double. That puts you in this spot. And they're missing those keys. And you could see Frank was upset about that, that that's been going on too much. And that's what did not happen this time. Against Dallas, they didn't have those problems. So that was a big deal. So that's something to, to possibly get excited about, that they're picking up the keys a little better, and there is a chemistry to defense. All right, uh, last thing with Suns is kind of not Suns, if that makes sense. I don't know if you got a chance to see the game, but Luca claims that a Suns fan was cussing him out most of the game, telling him he's out of shape, telling me blah, 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 and saying all kinds of things. And finally, Luca got sick of it and told security to eject him. An ESPN reporter claims that although the fan was annoying, it didn't rise to the level of eject him. So he didn't say Luka Doncic is soft, but he kind of hinted at it. It was almost like, oh my gosh, if this was Philly or New York, suck it up. You would never make it. But because you're the king of Dallas and you don't like a Suns fan getting on you, you couldn't handle it even though that's a fan and he bought his ticket. And it was kind of a weird exchange because Luka, in trying to show that he's not soft, in my opinion, showed he's soft in which the reporter says what happened, and then Luca has already checked social media, already knows that reporter reported something that in his mind made Luca look not good, and now Luca's a, a little offended by it and, and uncomfortable with the presence of the media guy. And I, I think Luca looks bad here. What do you think? In your viewpoint, what happened from probably the midpoint, the point of the third quarter, you guys were up by 16 to essentially getting outscored by 30-something points in the next 15 minutes? Uh, it was our defense. I think, you know, uh, I think Book went off. Uh, he couldn't miss. He destroyed us. Uh, I think it was our defense. What were you frustrated about at the end of the uh, second quarter when you got that tactical? Uh, I know. I saw you when you said about the fan, you know, that was not a true all. That was not the only thing he said. Uh, but I knew you would be the first one to, to point out something like that. I'm not going to say what he said, but I knew you were going to be the first one to put out something like that. So I just saw it, man. It's just funny. He always seemed to be the first one to put some bad stuff about me. First of all, 99% of the stuff I've written about you has been good. Oh, I don't know. I was sitting two rows behind us. All right. So it was the only thing he was that time he said something. The only thing. That was what you reacted to. Yeah. I was hearing the whole first half, right? 
Oh, you didn't hear anything? He was definitely hollered on. Okay, there we go. Active. But you put out something that was just the only thing. But what was okay, the final what, straw? What, what, was, what, was, the what final, was the issue? What was the thing that... It's not the issue. I'm just seeing you seem to be the first one to always put something bad about me. I never asked for the fan to be ejected. That's fine. It's all over. That's Why did you ask for the fan to be ejected? Because he was cursing me the whole first half, too. Why didn't you ask for Lobby ejected in the first half then? Because I never would eject a fan. They pay for tickets, but I had enough, you know. It's a little bit of frustration. You turned your head and looked over at him after he said that. That's, I mean, that's what we saw. Yeah, that's fine. Be the, guy, the bad guy in the media, right? It's all right. I feel like you're fairly portrayed in the media. No. Physically, how are you after the? You look like you tweaked the, the ankle. Yeah, I twisted the same ankle, um, but I'm fine. Do you feel like the team lost composure when calls started going against you guys? Um, no, I think we just uh, we play very physical. I think the first uh, what about 18, 17, 18 minutes, uh, but then just our physicality went down, and that's when we struggle. You know, we got to be physical the whole game. Look, we got sidetracked, but I wanted to go back. What what happened at halftime? You know, right at, right after the second quarter that ended up getting you the your technical. Oh, that's rough. What I said to him, he said, "I don't know." That was it. Yeah. What do you think would uh, would help to sustain the level of defensive execution you guys are looking for for closer to forty eight minutes? Uh, I don't know, man. We just got to be more physical. That's it. <laughs> I think when we play physical, 48 minutes is tough to beat us. And, you know, we got to play physical, but without fouling. Suns won. Suns get the credit. Suns adjusted to the officiating faster than the Dallas Mavericks did. Suns deserve the credit. But keep in mind, no Kyrie Irving in the game. Who knows how that would have changed things. That would have made this game very difficult. The thing about I'm really interested in your opinion because I think I do a fair job, but you might disagree with me, on going after players or going after members of the media. And for me, I have no problem with how that media guy handled it. The reason why I say that is Luca made it personal at him. And and once once you do that, that's on Luca. It clearly got personal between the two of them. But l- to me, it was clear that Luca started. He goes, "Hey, what happened with the with the fan that you got ejected?" And immediately, oh, I don't know. Of course, you uh, were the first one to tweet it out because uh, you're always writing negative stuff about me. <laughs> I don't know if it's true when the guy came back and said, oh, 99% of what I write about you is is positive. I, I don't care. I, I thought, like, I don't blast the media guy for being tough on him. I thought that was kind of a soft statement. Like, no, 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 be my friend. Be my friend. It's okay. okay. You're the media. You don't need to have him as your friend. Now, do I have players that are friends? Yeah, I do. I do. You get to know guys. You know who's legit, who's not. Have I pissed off friends that are players? Yeah, I have. Some of them weren't my friends anymore. <laughs> Just It's the nature. that It sucks. It does. But I owe it to you to say what I think needs to be said. That's my job. I will caveat stuff so you know I don't want to say this. Because I want you to understand they are human. I don't like the talk show host that feels tough because he yells at somebody. 
It's easy to get mad. And listen, and I've done it too, so I don't want to be a hypocrite. But it's easy to get mad at people you don't know. But when you know guys, you realize, man, these guys are human. Most of them are trying as hard as they can. But it doesn't change the fact that if they don't get the job done, we talk about it. That's what sports talk radio is. That's what sports podcasting is. And that's what doing a sports television show is all about. Here's my opinion. Good, bad, indifferent. Educated or not educated. Entertaining or boring. Here's my opinion on whatever the subject matter is. So I don't know if you support the media guy or if you support Luca, but Luca, you you look soft right there. Oh no, this guy's saying bad things about me. Go ahead and eject him. Now was I there? No, I wasn't. And I have been at games where I think this guy's an idiot. You know, a fan's an idiot, whatever. Okay? Plenty of times. Plenty of times. So I don't know what to think about what was being said, but by listening to the media's questions. It sounded like to me the guy was annoying but wasn't going over the top. And therefore, that to me makes me think Lucas soft. Like because the Mavericks are getting are losing, he's got a problem. He was okay with it in the first quarter because the Mavericks were playing well. Maybe he was okay with it at the beginning of the second quarter because the Mavericks were playing well. But about midway through the second is where the – a little bit more than midway – is where the Suns really started to ramp up and take off. So now that the Suns are applying pressure, things aren't going your way, you're getting more and more frustrated, now you can't handle that guy. Boom, eject him. Now let's be fair. As the sun started playing better, I bet he got mouthier. Okay, <laughs> that, that that's probably true. It's not act like this guy's a saint. But for Luca to say, "Oh, hey, I would get a fan ejected. I know they pay the money." Well, that's that's what you did. That's what you did. I think Luca looked really, really soft right there. But Suns a winner. Now, if you look ahead to where they are standings-wise, they're now in a tie with New Orleans. So they've moved up to the five seed. And uh, what I like about it is they're only three games behind the Clippers. And the Clippers, when healthy so far, have proven to be far better than the Suns are when they are healthy. When you look at the rest of the NBA standings, I'm, I'm not totally intimidated at all by the rest of of the West. And I don't know if you've looked at it, but OKC and the T-Wolves are tied for first place. Is is anybody nervous about that? I'm not. I mean, they're, they're playing great basketball. They deserve a ton of attention. You know, yes, yes, yes. Good job, guys. But if the Suns face them in the playoffs, I'm really not that worried, okay? Then it's the Nuggets a half game out. I think the Nuggets are far better than the Suns right now. Maybe the Suns continue to develop defensively. Maybe Bradley Beal continues to find his spots. And if J.O. ever starts hitting shots, okay, everything changes with this team. But those are a lot of ifs to overcome the defending champion. So you've got Denver a half game out, Clippers two games out. Then there's a drop-off. Oh, that was nice of you, Jeff Weir Production. No, if you're if you're listening to the podcast right now, Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or or TuneIn, I'll keep describing it to you. But if you're watching on WTSM, look at the fourth column where it says GB. That's games back, and that's where you'll notice there's a little bit of a shelf. Four teams crammed in in the top four. The tie that I just mentioned: Thunder and T Wolves. Nuggets a half game out. 
and Clippers only two games out. So four teams within two games. Then there's a three-game drop-off, and then there's another shelf. And the next shelf is Suns, Pelicans, Kings, and Mavericks on a shelf. And the Suns and Pelicans are tied five games out. Then they're only one game up on the Kings, who are seven games out. And then the Ma- or excuse me, six games out. And then the Mavericks are one game now behind the Kings at seven games out. I just gave you the standings for five through eight. And that's kind of the magic numbers right there, five through eight. Five is you're right there. You are almost having home court advantage. Then six is an important spot because that means you're out of the play-in tournament. You're in the playoff if you get to six. Seven and eight are another advantage spot because it means, all right, you're stuck in the playoff. However, you only have to win one game and you get two chances to win that game. So that's an advantage to get into the playoffs. 9-10, you're in the playoffs, but you're in the play-in tournament and you've got to win two games in a row in order to get into the playoffs. Then there's the Warriors. The Warriors right now are tied with the Rockets out of the playoffs. How crazy is that? I realize they've had a lot of ups and downs this year, but come on. Uh, That team, that talent... I don't care what's been going on. I'm not saying that they they should be number one. I'm not saying they should even have home court advantage. But to not even be a top eight team with that talent, there's a lot of bad things going on there. All right, coming up next, I want to do a little bit of a dive into U of A basketball. I want to look at some of the things football-wise, and that includes Jim Harbaugh as the next head coach of the San, San Diego. How about the Brooklyn Dodgers <laughs> of the Los Angeles Chargers and what that means for Justin Herbert? That's next. Thanks for watching Doug Franz Unplugged. We're presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. And you're watching the home of the Rattlers and the Sugar Skulls. This is WTSMTV.com. It's big, it's juicy, it's meaty. Get your burrito at Burrito Express. Burrito Express started with my father about 25 years ago. He got laid off and decided that he needed to do something to provide for his family. My brother and I were older teens, 17, 18 year old. And I'm going to do a trial out of my house. So literally we decided we're going to start out of his house. So we delivered uh, menus in a square mile area. Literally started delivering burritos out of our home in Mesa, Arizona. And after about a month, he said, let's do this. Went and found his first location. And believe it or not, that's how it started. We started with one location back in 1995. Now we're where we are now. So Mikey of Bell's Nashville Kitchen has put in a a Google Doc for me now. But I hate Google. I'm Mr. Apple, even though Apple's not the same since we lost Steve, but still drives him. I'm an Apple guy, so I'm struggling with this obnoxious Google stuff. Uh, Because when you're a creative person, you're an Apple guy. That's how it is. So I'm I'm putting in uh, my versus Vegas picks, and I still have to put in my my failures from from last night. Not happy. Not not happy about the failures, but got to suck it up a little bit. Uh, Yesterday, we did a, a pretty long talk about ASU and their game against Oregon. 
I don't have as deep of a dive to do uh, with U of A and, uh, and Oregon State, but there were a couple things that Tommy Lloyd said yesterday. One of them is just is a good rundown. But the second one, I just want to tell you how brilliant I think the marketing is. But I think it's important to talk about nationally. And ASU fans, I want to know if you hear a little bit of a swipe. I'm saying you deserve it if you're getting the swipe. But I'm wondering if you think it's a little bit of a swipe. The first thing from Tommy Lloyd is he just simply asked the question, across the country, even good teams are really struggling with road wins in the conference. The guy didn't say it because this was a presser from yesterday, and yet the game was last night. But Auburn's the eighth team in the country. They lost on the road in Tuscaloosa last night. Granted, rivalry game, tough game, stuff like that. But still, it's a conference loss on the road, and it's happening a lot. Uh, I mean, it always happens, but it does seem like, this is me speculating as a fan, it seems like there's a lot more road losses right now that are going on in college basketball once you get into the conference. So Tommy Lloyd just simply asked, why do you think it's so hard to win on the road? What's your philosophy of a road game? But at the end of the day, you got to go play. You know, I mean, that, that's it. So, you, you know, sometimes maybe you can have your little thoughts I and mean, maybe those turn into small excuses. You know, we just got to go play better on the road. You know, we, we don't need to complicate it. We have a formula that's, you know, time tested and proven to win on the road. You know, we're a good defensive team. We rebound the ball well. Um, you know, we're, we, we can play in a high possession game, play in a low possession game. We just need to go play well, you know. And I think a little bit, of, you know, you get a little deeper in the year, you understand what you're playing for. I mean, we're back where we want to be, you know. We're towards the top of the conference. But, you know, this is a time of season and conference where, you know, you, you, separation starts to happen. You know, you know, you get some teams, you know, a lot of teams with two losses, three losses, four losses, you know, but pretty soon, you know, some teams stay at two or three losses, some teams go to six or seven. So you start getting these gaps. So, you know, these, this is the, the time of the year. You got you to gotta start fighting to make a move, and, and that's not always easy to do. Um, that, that wasn't earth-shattering, but I wanted to use it as a setup to just go play I, I do like that that somebody's asking the philosophy of road games and he's just saying do your job that's it don't don't do it anything differently when you're on the road however let's face it you're 19 you're 20 years old you're everybody I think all of us I know I am I'm a creature of habit so how many times are you driving down the interstate and this is where you go to work, but you're doing it on a Saturday, you're not going to work, but you continually keep going the way you're supposed to be going to work when you realize, oh my gosh, and you've got to exit somewhere because you've just screwed up or you're, you just realize a mile away from the exit, why am I still in the left lane? Because your work exit is four miles down the road and you're just on cruise control mentally. Well, it's kind of the same in basketball. You get used to the backdrop. You get used to the same fans. You get comfortable with the surroundings. You know the lighting. You hit your shots based on muscle memory, and it's all different when you go to a different place. But then you add to that the crowd. You add to that the the anxiety that you feel against the other team. And then this is something that Tommy Lloyd's never going to say, but there's the officiating. You know, I'll never forget – I was talking to Barry Melrose one time. Does that name sound familiar? He was a, a longtime L.A. Kings head coach. He was a, a Tampa Bay a Lightning head coach for a while, I think, if I have that right. But I, was, I asked Barry Melrose, why are there so many more upsets in the playoffs in hockey than there are in the NBA? And he said the officiating. 
he thinks when he watches an NBA game, because the refs have no wall, have no glass, have no separation, and the, he thinks NBA refs are more influenced by the home crowd and they get excited to be able to make a call that benefits the crowd. They, they do. It's, he says it's subconscious. I don't think that they know that they're being affected. Of course, if they knew, they wouldn't allow it to happen. But he thinks a lot of refs become homers in the NFL or excuse me, in the NBA. Well, in the NHL, he says, really, the refs don't hear the crowd as much. Of course they do, but not as much because you're kind of secluded on the ice and you're in your own little well. And he thinks that, therefore, since the teams are evenly matched, there's less of a home ice advantage and, therefore, a better chance for upsets. And it's interesting to say that because I I think that goes right into what Tommy Lloyd is saying that he didn't say, in a sense. I think officiating, especially with how bad Pac-12 refs are, really play into home teams doing better than road teams for most of the time and just the youth of the contestant, the, the, the player. But that sets up this one. He was asked again about the philosophy on the road or the things that you do or the advantage that you have in Tucson. And listen to how he praises the entire city. Uh, You could argue he's sucking up. He might be. I'm just thinking this is brilliant marketing because think about how much you want to hear your coach say this about you if you're buying tickets. You know, certain places have more of a home court advantage than others. And I think one of the things that makes Arizona so special is, you know, some programs have followers. And, and others have fans. You know, followers can fall online, you know, do this stuff, you know, maybe show up at a game here and there when it's a big team. You know, Arizona basketball has fans. And, and you know, we have a winning mentality and a winning culture in the community and in our program. And our fans are one of us. And, and when you show up to play, you know, a, a team like Arizona, you got to deal with all of us. And, and I think that's one of the places that makes this thing so special. And, you know, other programs might have their version of that. So it makes it tough on the road. You know, you have to deal with, you know, not only the, the guys on the court and you got to deal with the, the, you know, the fans. But at Arizona, our fans are one of us. And, and I think that's a great separator for our program. Where do you want to go with that? Okay, number one. Brilliant. <laughs> they... You've got to go through all of us. I mean, come on. I guarantee you, guaranteed, next home game, they're going to have some kind of hype video at the beginning of the game. And it's going to be Tommy Lloyd. It's just a quick snippet. Is going to say, when you when you come to Tucson, you're going to have to go through all of us. And everybody goes crazy. Now, he knew what he was doing. He knew. And, and I've heard him at times get on the crowd before for not being what he considers to be a true U of A crowd. But that was brilliant marketing to go there. Number two, as a guy that I am a Dayton Flyers fan, I totally understand it. Dayton and Tucson 
are kind of similar cities. I mean, within the college basketball context, not similar cities as if they're border cities dealing with immigration or uh, Tucson has better restaurants than than my beloved Dayton does. Uh, Dayton's a good place to grow up, but it's kind of boring. Uh, Of course, Tucson is too. (laughs) So, but with, of course, Dayton doesn't have the golf courses, but you you see where I'm going. Basketball-wise, that's what you've got. You've got two towns where you are born and raised saying, this, this is life. This is everything. And it's total communal support. And I thought that was normal. When you're a kid growing up, you think this is everybody. Every college team is like this. And then you move around the country and you find out that's not true. And it's very shocking. It's kind of jarring. My first ASU basketball game, I didn't know that 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 happens. I didn't know you could play basketball in a total dump. And I didn't know you have five, six, seven thousand people show up and think it's a good that it's okay. That was crazy to me. And then if you talk about it, then you get blasted by fans saying, no, how dare you rip the fans? We love our team. Okay, not really. I mean, you can you can lie to yourself and say all you want. You love the team, but travel around. And when you travel around and you really see, wow, these guys are nuts. No, they're actually not nuts. They love their team. That's normal here. And Tucson is like that. Now, here's where I do laugh. I think he was swiping that everybody else, a lot of places have followers. They come to see a big game. You have followers that you know they're not there all the time we have fans arizona has fans i now i think he's i think he's right and i think he's you know hitting a lot of other people but i totally take that as a swipe if you're an asu fan of he's looking at you now the thing about asu that does have to be said the students are coming more and more often and are getting louder and louder and louder. And I mean over about a, other than COVID, of course, over about a five-year stretch. And if that's the case, you hope they take their Sun Devil degree, get a good job, and they are used to going to games. That that passion that they had as a student begins to translate into being a fan and staying. Now, I realize everybody likes to argue, oh, the reason why ASU is huge is so many people come in for the weather, kids come here, and then they take their degree, and they go back to another state, and that's where they have their money, and they don't buy tickets. Listen, there might be a lot of that, but you're talking about fifty to 70,000 students a year. Okay? If only 10% of them if 5% of them every year decide I'm going to go to games, you're selling out. <laughs> so you can like the excuses of, well, if it's okay, all you need is 5%, 2%, that's it. The city of Tempe alone is big enough to sell that game. Now, I don't mean sell it as if every single person buys a ticket. I just mean casual fans. If, if the average ASU fan bought a ticket to one more game a year than they do now, that place sells out. It's not that hard. Now, does it have the amenities? Do you really want to go watch a game there? I, I, I get it. I get it. But that's I think that's Tommy Lloyd staring you down a little bit, saying, hey, we're better. We're better. 
I don't think there's a. I don't think that's going to go viral. I don't think a lot of people are going to look at that comment and and really see it for what it is. But it's brilliant in the way he markets himself to pr- try to bring U of A fans together to make their home court advantage tougher than it has been, and then at the same time taking a swipe at other teams, which makes me always think as a Sun Devil fan he's taking a swipe at us. Maybe and maybe I'm just reading into it, and he's he's not even thinking about ASU when he uh, when he makes that comment. All right. That's ASU Oregon State tonight and talking about Tommy Lloyd. One thing about, I think I just said ASU, that's U of A and Oregon State tonight, late game, 9 o'clock. The reason why I said ASU is because I want to go to one thing from Bobby Hurley that he said two days ago, thanks to Sun Devil Source, that I didn't have a a time to get to yesterday. Um, I think Frankie Collins is never going to be James Harden historically. He's not going to be a great NBA player. He might get a couple two-way contracts at some point. I, I don't think so. Sorry, Frankie. I, I think it's going to be really, really tough. But I think he represents exactly what you want a Sun Devil to represent. And this was from two days ago in which Bobby Hurley was asked one question about Frankie Collins. There's a follow-up, and then he keeps going. And I think, to me, this is kind of one of those moments where this is what college basketball is about when you see the connection, especially with arguably the greatest point guard in the history of college basketball as the coach and the player. Yeah, he's just, I think, uh, at peace with himself and uh, in a really good space uh, with his confidence and his production. The more you produce and play well, you, you have more ability to lead and and people will generally listen to you more. Uh, but I think, like, even Frankie's got, you know, he's smart about what he does. Like, he, he reacted to a call, I think, during the USC game. And then as he went towards the ref, he's, put a big smile on his face and started, you know, communicating that way. So, like, just how you uh, handle those situations, I think he's got a really good feel. Um, so, I, I mean, I need more of that. You know, we need more, uh, you know, internal you know, leadership on the floor. And, and, and I think Frankie has uh, put himself in a position to have the respect of the coaching staff and, and his teammates to do that. How do you try to soak that and develop that more given all your personal experience? I just try and, you know, communicate with him uh, and and just encourage him to be a great leader and a point guard. And uh, I think we've we've built a very strong connection, him and I. And then uh, I just have a ton of respect for who he's become, you know, as a basketball player and, and, you know, who he is as a person. He's a great kid. And so I'm, you know, our relationship is very strong and. I'm hopeful that he continues to take steps and 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 want to be more than just someone that's out there playing basketball. Like he's he's actually trying to to run our team on the floor. He's coach on the floor, and he and he's trying to help his teammates. I, I that's got to be cool to Frankie too. But I mean, here is seriously, I, I do believe Bobby hum, uh, Bobby Humphreys. That's an old running back for Alabama. <laughs> He was he was the coach of the Birmingham Steel Dogs in AF2, if you're wondering. The minor league to arena football. I don't know how that name popped out. Bobby Hurley, I do believe, is the greatest college point guard of all time. I would really wish we could have seen what he would have done in the NBA if it wasn't for the wreck. That 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 is one of the I mean, I'm sure he's tried to move past it. I'm sure he tries not to think about it. Um 
because it'll consume you if you do because you're as competitive as he is to have that entire competitive outlet taken away especially for a guy who so many people thought you're going to be too small in the NBA they're not going to respond to your style of leadership and then there's the stigma of so many failures that have come out of Duke uh, out of the Mike Krzyzewski program from a professional standpoint okay Grant Hill obviously blows that whole conversation away but you look at so many Duke players from the 80s and 90s that were supposed to be something in the NBA and they weren't and you have that stigma and uh, and Bobby wants to break that and had I think one good year where you feel like okay Bobby Hurley's coming and then he has the wreck and then we never know anything about him really as a pro again uh it's sad for him but his relationship with a point guard that's awesome. And I liked – and I, I really enjoy watching Frankie Collins play. I, lo- I should say I really enjoy – I love – I love watching Frankie Collins play basketball. And he's a very engaging kid if they don't lose. And he's very professional but angry when they do. I, I love his post-game demeanor. I love the joy he has for winning, and I love the passion he plays the game with. And I love – the way he handles a post-game presser when he loses. He's, he's professional. He answers the questions. But there is no doubt he doesn't want to be there. There's no doubt he's upset. And there's no doubt that he can't wait for it to end. But he doesn't show it in a way that's disrespectful to anybody else. It's like, I'm going to compartmentalize it. I'm going to get through what I need to do. Because what some people don't understand, press conferences are a sign of leadership. It's a, do you really, I mean, imagine you screwing up at work, you having a bad day and it's five, you're ready to go. You just want to go. And then before you leave, you know, Hey, the press wants to talk to you. Now you've got to go out and explain yourself. Like a lot of us have a boss. And sometimes when we screw up, we've got to talk to the boss about it. But I mean, every day you have a game or a day at work. Imagine your boss going through and saying, okay, here's, here's, here's this, here's this, here's this, here's this, but that's sports. Now, we don't need to feel bad for them. I'm not saying we should have sympathy for it. It is the media that charges up, that, that, that gets fans the access. It's fans that buy the tickets who deserve to know about the team. And it's the players who are there to entertain because that's why we're buying tickets. And therefore, you chose the free scholarship, the NIL deal, to go to a bigger institution. You could have chosen to go be a mid-American conference basketball player, go Bobcats, and play in front of, you know, my Bobcats, they, they play in a gorgeous 13,000-seat arena and we probably only put about 5,500 fans in it. Sometimes, you know, crazy days we're up at seven or 8,000. So you've chosen to play in front of a fan base that's not very passionate and in and, and a market with not a lot of NIL deals. Maybe you go all the way down to Division Three, and, and you get nothing. You've chosen this, so you do need to – somebody's got to be the leader and deal with the questions that need to be asked. He does it every time does it every time so i i'm a big fan of of that last thing before steve mccullum gets a chance to tell you what's on his mind and what's coming up on on the main event i I really this is a small thing but boy is this interesting will rogers pretty good quarterback at mississippi state transfers up to play with um washington because he likes their system 
then Washington loses their head coach and he immediately enters the transfer portal. I totally believe, I have no proof of this, but I totally believe Jed Fish told Will Rogers, I would love for you to stay. I want you to compete for the job, but I also want to be fair to you and let you know you've got to blow Noah Fafita away. He's coming in. He's already knows the system. He knows what I expect. We've got a, a great relationship. You know, if this was early in your, in your, in your lifetime as a college athlete, I would tell you to compete. Okay. Compete. But at the end of your career here, you might decide I don't want to sit the bench so unless you blow him away, we're going to go with Fafita. And I bet Will Rogers then entered the transfer portal. Well, then when the U of A booster spent big bucks in NIL to keep Fafita away from Jed Fish and Noah decided to stay, I bet Jed Fish went back with his tail between his legs. Please, please, Will Rogers, please stay. Please stay. Please stay. And I'm a little shocked, but Will Rogers said, okay, because this late in the transfer portal game, he didn't see what he wanted out there. Fine, I like Seattle, I'll stay. But it was just one little interesting tidbit, and now I can't wait to see Will Rogers, even though they're not in the same conference anymore, Will Rogers at UW versus Fafita with a new head coach at U of A and to see which quarterback does better uh, next year. So the, the, every day, six hours of local sports programming. I'm on from 6 to 8 with Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Izzy on Sports iOS is from 10 to noon. And the meat of the day, right in the middle of the two uh, crusts, or what would we say, what, the heels of the bread, is Steve McCollum, the main event with Dale Hellestray. Steve, how are you? Good. Not very often I get called the meat in that aspect. You are. Yeah, you, you, you're the substance. You're, you're, the, you're the gamer in the middle. I'm the one that suffers in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> middle child I am, uh, so I have to live in the middle my whole life. I'm used to it. Okay, okay. I was trying to build you up. That's you took right. your own knees out. Yeah, I will. How's yeah. life? That's uh, that's just how life is, Doug. Uh, you know, uh, other people try to hype you up, and then you just have to say the reality of the situation. Oh, okay, okay, Why okay. Not? What's coming up on on today's? Uh, you night? know, uh, Suns game was boring last night. Did you think so? <laughs> Dude, I hate blowouts, man. Yeah, okay. Oh uh, I, I don't care about the other stuff and like mm-hmm. the amount of Suns fans that were like excited that oh my god, we killed the Mavs, and then I'm just tired of Lucas constantly pretending oh, he's hurt yeah. when things don't go well for him. It's just he's fat, right? His ankles are always hurting. He's drooling grease, he's donut <laughs> grease, uh, and he's grabbing his ankles uh, at the end of the half because you know he oh, I wanted a foul, and then gets a technical, and then second half you know they're getting their butts kicked and he's just crying the whole time it's just annoying i do want to be fair in the sense that i have zero idea what that fan said but it's amazing to me that he says the fan was going at him all game so when they're winning and dominating the first quarter you didn't have a a problem with it he's talking back you know he's talking back and now suddenly the second quarter things are falling apart and now you're frustrated get him out i mean uh, yeah it's uh well you know next thing you're gonna hear is the fan said the n-word because that's the go-to thing right well uh, luca that's not gonna work for you but he'll probably allege it still my other thing is you know mark cuban's on the sideline in the first half and 
when they got that foul reverse and then Nurkic, Nurkic got the, uh, yeah, leave it to Nurkic to get a, uh, you know, flopping penalty yeah. of, all, of all the players that flop. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and then Cuban's all there smiling and laughing. And then second half, he's nowhere to be found. He's like off drinking or doing right and left, you know, left leftist stuff on Twitter and attacking right wing people. Whatever, tw- whatever Cuban does these days with his billions. Uh, it's just, I'm just over it. The Mavericks are just a trash organization. They're awful. Uh, and uh, Mavericks fans aren't much better. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's how okay. I'm feeling. Today. I've never even thought that deeply about the Mavericks, other than <laughs> I admit I'm totally jealous of Mark Cuban, not of his of where he got to this point about two months ago. But from that point forward, I have never once thought of selling, I don't know, selling my house for seven, let's say yeah, 70 million and then still living it well, rent free. Not just living in it rent free, but being in charge of it. I, still. I know. Yeah. That's just brilliant. If I, I, no, man, if you're selling out, sell out and go someplace else. Uh, the other thing is, man, if you sell something and you have billions of dollars just laying around now and everything, find a better plastic surgeon because he's got this weird eye thing going on. Like you can afford it, man. Go to the top notch ones. You don't have to go down to Mexico for that with the coupons for the discounts anymore, Cuban. Like, go go to the good eye guy, man. Uh, if you have like scars or burns, hey, that's none of my business. No, but no, that's the, it. But the average the average Hollywood person with the hack jobs that I see is like, are you really better off? Yeah, like, I've always looked. Are, yeah. are you, you would, sure? You, you know, especially especially some of the ladies, right? Like you actually would age gorgeously, man. Yeah. Like, uh, but you know they're ugly inside. They have all the people chirping at them saying, you got to fix this. You got to fix that. Uh, I got a guy for you. And, um, uh, you know, it's uh, yeah, just uh, man, Cuban, buddy, you can probably get a fix still. It's probably yeah. not too late with the amount of money you got. Go, yeah. go get a fix, buddy. I'm, I'm not a fan of the eyelids <laughs> touching earlobes. I just just uh, just as a general rule. He's got this weird like life. overlap now. It's almost like he's a he's a lizard or a camel. Yeah. Where like he can close his eyes and have one part go over his eyeballs, but it's still open because of the sand. It's weird. I don't get it. Man, I don't get it. But yeah, the Mavericks are just trash. A classless organization, just trashy. It's stupid. Uh, I hate it. Uh, I hate them. And, uh, you know, congratulations. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And I hate the Cowboys, so therefore I hate all of Dallas. Right. But and that's the only reason why I, I hate the thing. Mavericks. Why are you still using your green Mavs logo on your court and stuff like that? You haven't had the green incorporated. I know it's a throwback, whatever. Yeah. But you got away from that hundreds of years ago. Why are you still doing that? It's stupid. Knock it off. You're dumb. Ridiculous. Go back. Go back to whatever you were doing before because it's awful. I'm so jealous. I wish I hated the Mavericks this bad. I, well, did I, you not I, watch the game last night? Oh, I did. I did. I did. I, I just, okay. So I, I never looked at the logo and I, thought I, I I'm te- mad about that. I, te- I technically okay. Here's my story. I fell yeah. asleep. Uh, I don't know halfway through the third quarter. Suns were just dominating the game. I fell asleep. They did. They did. And I wake up. And the amount of like vitriol that I have, a lot of text messages and Twitter from people about what happened, and I'm like, did the Suns lose this game? And then I look and I go, and so I'm like in a fog, you know, yeah, like one yeah. in the morning, like, what did the Suns lose? So I look it up and I'm like, they won by 30 some points. Yeah. What, what the heck happened? What's yeah. going on? Yeah. So then I wake up this morning and look into it and I'm just like, what are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing with their lives, people? <laughs> Why are we giving the Mavericks so much attention? Just let them go back. Let them stay in Dallas where it's miserable there, right? Nothing good ever came out of Mavericks, right, Dale? Nothing good ever came out of Dallas, right, Dale? Uh, you know, all of that stuff. And why are we even paying attention to them? <laughs> I'm happy with this moment right now in my life to be a part of this. Um, out, out of out of nowhere, 
you, I'm putting you on the spot. Justin Herbert about to explode, about to stay above average. Yeah. You know where we're, he is, or, find out. or or will he never be able to handle? Yeah, I put that out when that news came out that he was about to sign. Uh, you know, I said, uh, "Here's what we're going to find out: it, Was the Chargers' problems coaching, yeah. or was it the players? We're going to find that out pretty quickly. Although they're going to have a lot, they have a lot of salary cap problems they have to fix. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, we're going to find out if Harbaugh is the uh, mad genius that uh, we." we that he gets attributed to, right? Yeah. Uh, we're going to find out if there's another huge ripple through college football in terms of coaching staffs with the Michigan thing, or is Michigan going to go cheap with, you know, uh, somebody on staff? Uh, there's a lot of things that now just became interesting in the NFL. Uh, to be 100% honest with you, I think Herbert's the man. I'm not sure Harbaugh is. Oh, uh, wow. And, uh, well, he'll get him good, but is it enough to get him over the hump? He couldn't do it before with the Niners. He got him to the Super Bowl, but he couldn't get over that hump. Uh, I'm not too sure he can do it. It's will be interesting to see. I 100% believe in Jim Harbaugh within a small time span. That's what I'm getting I, at. I think he alienates people to no end that after three, about yeah. year three or four, yeah. like I believe he can be a guy that gets you over the hump if it can happen quickly. Yeah, that's what but I'm getting But once at. you get to three or four, oh, we're back now. Where I was proven wrong, you might say, is Michigan because it took year nine. Yeah. But to me, the college turnover is so different well, he had bad, that uh, you can reinvent yourself. Michigan didn't allow him to hire good offensive and defensive coordinators right. till what, year four when they finally let him do that stuff. So, I mean, you have that factors. So, you have all of that, you know, going on. And then I was thinking about it also last night. Man, AFC West, what a juggernaut in terms of coaching, right? Andy Reid, uh, you know, uh, Jim Harbaugh now. You know, you got uh, Sean Payton out there. Uh, and then you got – oh, I'm sorry, Antonio Pierce. Good, good job, Raiders. <laughs> Speaking of the Raiders, Speaking and, of trash and, organizations, and I'm Raiders. down to about 20 seconds, but <laughs> if you are able to draft a Justin Herbert and never develop anybody around him, and I realize winning in the AFC is not easy, but Tom Telesco, to get a job three weeks later, yes, that I think the Raiders really screwed that one up. I don't think that was a good GM hire, irrelevant of Antonio Pierce. Yeah, the, the Raiders are just, I think the Raiders are just like, look, everybody else is good, so we're just going to do the bare minimum, and maybe we can be good when they all start to suck here in four or five, six years or their talent gets old. Uh, what other explanation is it, man? Uh, just, you know, Mark Davis woke up this morning and went, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> I did. Sweet Lou today at 830. Okay, good. Have a good show. Yeah. <laughs> Now, let's be clear what, what's about to happen, especially with what Steve just threw out there at the end. I am the minnow. Sweet Lou is the shark. There's two different Sweet Lou's. Sweet Lou, general manager, Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Please come out February 23rd. Love to see you. Sweet Lou the gambler coming up on th- uh, every Thursday. Today he's on at 8.30 with Steve and Dale. That guy's the shark. So whenever you... Every now and then I go through the disclaimer. When you listen to Versus Vegas, I am the minnow. I am not a professional. I don't. I rarely bet over $5. In some of my games, I don't even bet because I forget to put it in because I always wait till the afternoon to see if there are any injuries. So let's be clear. That guy's the real one. That guy's the total real one. I'm just looking at stuff, taking guesses based on being a sports fan and having fun. Yesterday... Did you hear that little flinch there? Yesterday. Trying to fight it. Got all the way to this point. Oh, man, am I frustrated. 
I feel like I went one and one yesterday and got punched in the face. In truth, I went one and two. Here we go. The game I got right. Why didn't I just stick with it? I knew this game was easy. Colorado on the puck line covering against Washington. I said they covered the, the one and a half. Colorado wins six to two. Washington back end of a back to back. Then they're flying into Colorado. The airport's an hour away. Now you got to drive downtown. You don't get to bed until three or four in the morning, and then you play at altitude the next day. No chance. Easy game. Why not just stick with that? And I did. Really frustrated. St. Louis was on the back end of a back-to-back in Western Canada. Vancouver didn't show up at all, down two to nothing. They fought back to send it into overtime, but they scored in the 19th minute. That's not going to help me uh, at all. In the 19th minute, like it was a soccer game. They scored it like 1905 of the second. So, so what? You're, you know, I don't care that you're down by uh, a goal when I've got you covering the puck line. So they lose in overtime 4-3 to three to St. Louis. That one, fine. The other game. Portland's on the back end of a back-to-back. And I told you, you probably shouldn't follow me on this game because DeAndre Ayton does have a history of when the world calls them out. He plays angry and does something good once and then falls off the horse again. Last night, Ayton went 18.17 boards in Portland's come-from-behind victory. Houston led. It was only 51-39. Okay, it's not like a 12-point lead is insurmountable. But you talk about a line of demarcation. Houston being a young team, they just shut it down. Shut it down. And from about the four-minute mark of the second quarter through the rest of the game, they gave up 98 points to Portland. Almost in a half. 98 points in about 27 or 28 minutes. It was atrocious from Houston. So then I lose, and I go one and two on the day. 10.90, and nine. Right now in my uh, in units, I'm up a, about 15 and a half units right now, and that's without putting everything in for yesterday. So it's going to go down a little bit. I'm going to be at about 14 units where I'm up after starting out on fire and being up almost 16. You know, I think I was up almost 18 units at one point this month. So we got to we got to battle back. We got to battle back. So here's where we're going today. I like the Brooklyn Nets plus the four. They're on, they're at home. They're against Minnesota. T-Wolves on the back end of a back-to-back. I like Brooklyn because they've been struggling, and they're going to raise their game against Minnesota, but I think the T-Wolves know Brooklyn's not that good. I like Brooklyn plus the four. I don't have the courage to take them on the, on the money line, but I'm going to use those four points. The juice isn't that bad. And uh, uh, Sacramento... I'm going to take them on the money line against Golden State. A little bit of negative juice, but it's here's the difference. Golden State just played last night, but it's a home back-to-back for them. So not that scary. They didn't have to travel. But Sacramento is so much better than Golden State. And I realized the last game was the emotional game for Golden State. But Golden State's got problems. So I like Sacramento. They're favored by two. The juice is 125 on the money line, 110 at minus two. With the gap only being between 125 and 110, I figure, you know what? I'll take the hit 
to not have to worry about those two points to cover. Let's just run with the money line. So I've, I have the Kings bad juice uh, on the money line. So Brooklyn plus the points, Sacramento irrelevant of the points cover uh, on the money line. And those are my two games to try to get a little bit of a bounce back. Now, it's, it's not terrible. I was just 2-0 and two days ago. So it's all right to go 1-2. and two. I'm still sitting now at... Um, at three and two over the last two days, so that's not terrible. But this one's good. This this one's one that I uh, that I need. One thing I didn't touch. I don't have the courage to do it. The Bruins are right exactly where I love to have a team. Back end of a back to back in which they cross the Canadian border. I love those games. And they had a hard-fought game against Carolina, who's really good. And now they're going up against Ottawa, who's not good. This is the type of game where it's pretty easy for you to run with. It fits right perfectly to where upsets happen, where the other team's totally engaged because they want to knock off a top dog. A top dog is not engaged because you're bad, and they just had a tough, tough game the night before and travel across the board. This is one of those moments it spells perfectly for Ottawa to win. The problem is Ottawa plus the goal and a half is like minus 280 juice. And on the money line, I'm... If Boston would have beat Carolina last night, I would take Ottawa. But losing to Carolina, I just feel like the Bruins are going to figure out a way to take care of business, but I don't think they're going to cover. So with that, I, I don't like that. I'm not taking Boston on the money line because I don't trust it that much. But I'm certainly not taking Ottawa plus the goals with that bad juice. I admit, I think that's what's going to happen. I think Bruins are going to win 4-3. And therefore, you should take Ottawa plus the goals, but that juice is not worth it. Keep an eye on that game, though. I admit to you, if Ottawa wins, I'm going to bang my head against the wall. All right, I talk too much about Bruins and Senators, and I don't have enough time to go through the credits, so let me go like lightning if you don't mind. Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass for golf. You want to eat? You want burritos in the morning? You want our great friends at Burrito Express. You want a place for lunch? You got Rosati's on the east side, and you've got, but only the one at Ray and McQueen, and you've got Bell's Nashville Kitchen in Scottsdale. Heating, cooling, plumbing, electrical. That's Parker and Sons. The main event is up next. I'll see you tomorrow.